0: This is not your century. This is not your century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. August 22, 1991. Mikhail Gorbachev has survived the coup flu. And now, in his first press conference since returning to Moscow, the Soviet president says he's still committed to the Communist Party, but he insists the party must be reformed transformed for the modern era. That reform is what had held him prisoner at his dacha, his vacation home, in the Republic of Crimea, for three days. Since becoming the leader in 1985, Gorbachev had been on a program of modernizing the Soviet Union. People all over the world became familiar with the Russian words glasnost and perestroika. They mean openness and restructuring as Gorbachev worked to decentralize the Soviet economy and loosened restrictions on speech and the free press. He signed arms reductions treaties with the United States to ease the tensions of the Cold War. In doing all that, he made enemies. High-ranking communist hardliners in the government wanted Glasnost and Perestroika to stop. They were afraid it would lead to the end of the Soviet Union. The republics that made up the Union were getting increasingly eager for independence, the traditional Soviet response to such movements had been a military crackdown, like in Hungary in 1956 and Czechoslovakia, the Prague Spring, in 1968. Gorbachev's response was to negotiate a treaty with most other republics, the New Union Treaty. It would turn the Soviet Union into a federation of independent republics that would function as one government. The head of the KGB, Viktor Khrushchev, secretly organized several top officials and ministers in the Soviet government into the State Committee on the State of Emergency. They tried to convince Gorbachev to end Glasnost. They wanted him to crack down on the independence movements in the old Soviet fashion, which would start with declaring a state of emergency. The new Union treaty was due to be signed on August 20th. Gorbachev was on a two-week vacation at his dacha, and he was due back in Moscow for the signing. On the 17th, the hardliners acted. They barged into the compound of Gorbachev's house, unannounced, and they demanded to see him. He picked up the phone to call Moscow to find out who'd sent the men, but the phone was dead. He went to another line, then another, all dead. He told the press conference that it was then that he realized, this is not the sort of mission we ordinarily had to deal with. The committee demanded that he put them in charge and grant them emergency powers, that is, declare that state of emergency which would allow them to begin the military crackdown. If he didn't, they said, he'd be removed from power. He knew there was a good chance he'd also be killed. The committee members put out word that Gorbachev was ill and wouldn't be returning to Moscow as planned. Gorbachev was stunned by the coup. These were some of his most trusted ministers. He tried debating with them. You're going to announce a state of emergency tomorrow, he said, but look ahead a day, three or four steps ahead. The country will reject you and won't support such measures. He tried to explain why the old hardline Soviet system was no longer viable. He got nowhere. Gorbachev was a prisoner for three days as events unfolded. But as he told the media, he didn't just wait. His staff at the house remained loyal. Communications were shut down, but they found old shortwave radios that allowed Gorby to monitor world news. He was also able to get word to Russian President Boris Yeltsin, telling him to resist. He learned that key military officials were behind him, as was U.S. President George H.W. Bush, who instituted sanctions as a response to the coup. The situation came to a head on the streets of Moscow, outside the parliament building. Tanks were rolling in, but Yeltsin urged the military not to back the plotters, and they called on the public to stage a general strike. One of the most indelible images in Russian history is Yeltsin standing on a tank and making a speech as the situation came to a head on August 19th. Three men were killed as they helped move heavy equipment into a tunnel to block advancing tanks. That galvanized the resistance. The plotters, sensing their plan failing, demanded to meet with Gorbachev again, When they arrived at his dacha, he had them arrested. The coup had failed. In most cases, Gorbachev replaced the arrested plotters with their second in command. He wasn't ready yet to turn away from communism. But it wouldn't be long. Within the week, the familiar hammer and sickle flag would be struck, and the pre-revolutionary tricolor would become Russia's official flag. Within a few weeks former Soviet republics were declaring independence, Ukraine and Belarus, Moldova, Azerbaijan and Kyrgyzstan, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia. In December, the Soviet Union dissolved and Gorbachev resigned as president. He launched on a career as a social democratic international statesman and foundation head. He withdrew from public life about five years ago. He's 88 years old and he's reported to be in poor health. This has been Not Your Century, a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Audrey Cooper, editor-in-chief. Get great journalism today at sfchronicle.com. I'm King Kaufman. Talk to me on Twitter at King underscore Kaufman. We now return you to yours.